Evening. Let's see, I'm, all I'm hearing tonight in regards to what's been shared already, I'm drawn to look at a particular passage, but I, I have to say I've got a number of things in my spirit, a number of things in my heart to kind of touch on. And not just, it's not enough to preach a whole preach on, if you know what I'm saying. It's like a smorgasbord. You guys ever know what a smorgasbord is? In the States, we get to go to have like an all-you-can-eat place. And they've got like, you know, like where they have a, um, oh, what's that called? A, a salad bar. You ever seen a salad bar? And there's like, you can take some of this and you can take some of this. And you're not going to eat everything. You're not just going to eat one thing off the plate and like fill You're not going to have like just a plate of tomatoes or tomatoes, whatever you're from, you know. You're not just going to have like a plate of spinach. You're going to have some of this and some of this and some of this. And that's kind of what I have in my spirit tonight. So um, I'm, I'm, I don't like preaching that way, to be honest. I know probably I end up doing it anyway, but when it comes to it. And so I'm just going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to really help because there's a number of you here tonight. Some of you need salvation. Some of you don't know what it means to belong to Jesus yet, and you need that. So, some of you have just started your race, and there's some things that need to be put in order for you because you're, you're coming in, and sometimes we think it's like a free-for-all. It's not a free-for-all. There's, there's real specific instructions and guidance in walking with Jesus. Um, some of you are in bondage, as we just heard, that you're being in, afflicted by things in your head, and, and the Lord Jesus really loves you, and he really wants you to be free, and there's power tonight to see that freedom come. And, 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 and one of the things I was just saying to Grace, that sometimes you say, oh, stand up, and that, that spirit in you is saying, don't you dare stand up. It's causing you to get afraid, and you're like, who told so-and-so? How do they know? Blah, blah, blah. And that's happening inside, and so you get stuck, and you freeze. I know, because I was there at one time in my life. I'm just saying, I understand. And, and the thing is, is that, that that becomes so overwhelming, you can't move. And that spirit just becomes, like, dominant in your thinking, and sometimes even affects your ability to hear. The goal isn't to embarrass you in any capacity, <laughs> It's to see you free because Jesus is the one that sets captives free. So that's kind of a big, a big kind of plate full of stuff tonight. So for just a few minutes, I'm just going to pray and we're just going to ask the Lord for help because more of a prophetic element that the Lord wants to speak to you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows every detail of your life. And, uh, and he loves you with an intensity of love that he was willing to bleed for you, to die for you, to rise from the dead so he could bring you into relationship. And he wants you to know him and to know that love and to know the freedom that he comes to give. And so we're just going to pray and ask him for help. How about that? Is that all right? So, Father, we just thank you for your intense, massive, eternal love to be made manifest. We thank you, Lord, for that love that you have. Thank you that your intent is that your people know what it means to belong to you and to be, to be transformed by the power of your love, to know what it means to be washed clean and to be accepted before you. And so I pray that tonight, Lord, you would, you would bring your peace and you would bring help tonight to each one. Lord, give us ears that hear and a heart that is willing to receive and to understand. And so we ask for help in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
let's just start with Mark chapter 4, and then we'll move on from there. We're going to start reading from verse 35. I want to connect these two stories that are here. It says, On the same day when evening had come, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also, um, were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filled. But he was, he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be muzzled, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have what? So he expected them to have what? In what? Hmm. Let's start there. He expected them, I'd say at least two things in the text. One, um, he said we're going to the other. He told them where they were going. Um, if Jesus says we're going there, guess what happens? Yeah? So he said we're going to the other side. So no matter what the wind looked like or what it felt like, no matter what was going on in, in, their, in, their, in that context, there was something that they could know for certain. When Jesus speaks, he tells the truth. And he has the power to back up everything he says. So he says we're going to the other side. So Jesus isn't worried about it, is he? How do you know? Because he goes to take a nap. He's not worried. He's not freaking out. There's no anxiety in him. Jesus is at perfect peace. See, when he stands up and rebukes the storm, he just brings it under his authority. Because Jesus is at perfect peace. And some of you tonight aren't in perfect peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, <laughs> neither let it be afraid. When he brings something under his authority, he brings it into peace. The world shows you anxiety, the world's freaking out, there's chaos on every side. But for those that belong to Jesus... He expects us to trust him, and your heart will be at perfect peace. You say, but nothing's changed. I, I agree, it doesn't have to. The storm doesn't have to stop before you can be at peace. Because you know who's in the boat with you, in your situation with you. When you trust in him, when you belong to him, um, you can trust him, and, and he will bring into um, his, under his authority and control that situation, and really, 
in it, you don't have to be afraid. Um, they said, teacher, don't you care that we perish? That's a strange question to ask the one who came to bleed and to die. He gave his life. That's why he came into the world. He, he's from eternity. God put skin on his face and came to the planet. And he came for the purpose of bleeding and dying for you. So that he could give you the gift of salvation. He could give you the gift of having your sins taken away. And heaven to be your, your place, your home. His house that you'd have a space in. And, and, and to be there and, and to know I belong to him. And his love is such an extent that he's, he's not playing games with his love. His love is an intentional, it's an intense, it's an eternal kind of love that he's willing to go through whatever it takes so that he could bring you into relationship. He was willing to go through the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross so that he despised its shame, but he did it so that he could bring you into relationship because there was no other way. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so he's the one that comes because of his love, of his, his power to back up what he says. So he expected them to believe what he said. If you're one who names the name of Christ tonight, then um, can I say to you, God expects you um, to trust in his word and to trust in his love. <laughs> if you won't, then you will find yourself doing this. See, Jesus already said to them, we're going to the other side, right? So what else could he say? We're going to the other side, guys. Okay, yeah, but, but yeah, I need something more from you. What, what else can I say? We're going to the other side. See, when he speaks, if we're not willing to take him at his word, what else can he do? Oh, Lord, help us. Yeah, but see, he's showing by taking, he's on the boat with you. So his expectation is that you're not going to freak out on the boat but that you're going to say, okay, you said it, and I'll take you at your word. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. Because those who, who, who believe must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There must be an entering in where, Lord, okay, you said it. I'm taking you at your word. We want to see it, then believe it. He says, believe it, then you'll see it. See, we say in our culture, seeing is, okay, but you know that's not true? You don't believe half of what you see. You guys ever on TikTok? Or on, I don't have TikTok, or what's the other ones? Instagram? How about the news? Do you believe everything you see? So you don't even believe everything you see. So seeing isn't really believing, is it? Because there's all sorts of filters. You know, that's what they say, you know, you, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I've only heard about some of these things. I've never done them, I can say, but swiping this direction or that direction and she looks like this on a filter and you see her face to face and you're like, whoa, that's not what I uh, signed up for. Seeing isn't believing. But in the kingdom of God, God has a different principle to go by. He doesn't work by the flesh. He works by the work of the Spirit. He works by His Word, which is truth. 
And so he says, trust me, take me at my word, then you'll see the outcome of what you're believing. Okay, I, I can tell I'm hitting something here, and I'm not sure what it is. Um, how, many, how many of you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus? Okay. So do you believe that you're headed for heaven? Have you seen it yet? How do you know? You walk by and not by? Ah. I love that old song. It's an old children's song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I know it's simple. But what it does is it brings the security to your heart because Jesus, I know you always speak the truth. You don't lie. And so I, I know that I can put my trust in what you've said. If you've said, obey me in this, what does he want you to do? Obey. Well, you think, oh, what about the outcome? We're going to the other side. Doesn't matter what kind of storm comes up. He says, we're going to the other side. Now, he wants us to trust in what he has said, but also his intent. See, what they did is when they, when they woke him up, they're saying, Lord, don't you care? Teacher, don't you care? We're perishing. Now, does he care? How do you know? Because he's on the planet. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever was to believe in him, they would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The very fact that he's on the boat at all is because he cares to the extent that he was willing to humble himself in eternity and come as a man and then become obedient to the cross, even the death of the cross, so that he would then be highly exalted. Jesus was willing to love us to that degree. He was willing to give his own life, his own blood. This God-man who walked the planet, he was willing literally to be beaten, to be scourged, to be mocked, uh, to, be, to be whipped, to have his beard pulled out, to have people spit on him. And he was willing to go through that and then suffer and die to bear your sin in his body. That was the whole purpose for which he came. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. God demonstrates his own love toward us while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. So can I say this to you? He, he expects you to believe what he has said and to believe the intent that he has towards you is not your destruction. He didn't come into the world to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Sometimes we think, God, if I obey you in this you're going to mess everything up. Some of you have heard, of, I just did my spirit. Some of you have heard about Jesus even when you were younger and you kind of followed. And then somewhere along the line, you made a decision. Well, if I keep following, my life's not going to go the way I want it to go. You know, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to destruction. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and those who follow me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So there's a way that you want to go, and then there's a way he wants you to go. Just, just out of curiosity, do you think he's smarter than you? Do you think he's wiser than you? 
Do you think he's got a better course of action and he knows how to get to the destination that's there? Well, don't you think it would be a good idea to trust his plan for you and not yours? Because some of you have gotten in such a tiz because you've been doing what you want, when you want, how you want. You've been acting like a two-year-old in a candy store. What's a child like in a candy store? I want, I want, I want, I want. And then when they don't get it, how do they act? And God says, listen, I have something for you. Will you trust me? Take me at my word and trust my intention for you. For the plans that he has for you is not to destroy you, but for life. And that everlasting life. Now the thing was, is that they were in a battle that they didn't understand. See, Jesus says we're going to the other side. Jesus knows why he's going to the other side. And there's nothing in the text that tells us that they understood why. He just said, we're going to the other side. Okay, so they got a choice. Either go with him or stay on the shore. That's about it. But he doesn't explain to them what's happening or the why. He expects them to trust. So not only is this a storm, but can I say to you, this is a spiritual battle that they're going through. Let me show you why. When Jesus gets up, he questions their faith. But before that, in verse 39, he uses, he says, he says, and he arose and he what? He rebuked. He didn't say, it doesn't say he just said, peace, be still. It says he what? Rebuked. Do you realize that when Jesus deals with demonic spirits, that same phrase is used? Then when he says, peace, be still, in in the Greek, it's, it's to be muzzled. Shut up. I bind you. Now, if you continue reading on, you'll find out where he's going. Because he's going into a situation where there's a guy that's so bound, he can't get out of the pit he's in. Every single person that that has tried to help him have come up like there's nothing they can do. And so the enemy knows Jesus is on his way. And so what's he trying to do? He's trying to whip up chaos to try to change the direction of what Jesus intends to do. Can I say this? It just, you know, it's possible that tonight on your way over here, chaos broke loose for you. Things just kicked off today. It's just like, we're going to go to church and it just kicks off. You're like, why? Because the enemy has an idea. Does he know in every detail? No, but he knows when God has an intention to do something and to move and it kicks off. It happens even in the service where everything's fine and then all of a sudden the kids start going, like right at that moment. Well, what's going on? Because the enemy wants to stir up chaos because he wants to stop you from hearing and to recognize what Jesus wants to do in your life. The Bible talks about it like a seed that goes, it just hits the path. And it says the birds come in and steal it away. He says that's like what the devil does. It's like he wants to get it before you actually grasp it so that you don't believe it. And and he wants to steal it away. Is this making sense? Because this is what spiritual battle looks like. 
It looks like being on a boat and chaos breaks loose and the storm is so bad and you think, how are we going to get over there? But we got Jesus on the boat, so I got a choice now. He's already said we're going to get to the other side and I I know he loves me. I got a choice. I can freak out or I can be at peace. Yeah, sure, do whatever you need to keep the boat afloat. No problem, but don't freak out. Be at peace. He loves you. And his intent is good for you. But he's headed on his way over to this, this often referred to as a demoniac. In, in chapter 5, it begins. They're asking, pardon me, in verse 41 at the end there, it says, And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, Jesus shifts into this mode where he has to deal with things and he's not doing it in the polite way where it's kind of like he's got to work at the level where the disciples are at. He, He has to deal with something very specific here. And he has to step in and, and he's, 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 he's rebuked the wind and the waves. And now they're freaking out because they're supposed to be the ones who know who he is. But whether they do or they understand it or not. And who is this? And then they get off the boat. They're, they're headed over. Verse, verse 1, chapter 5. It says, and they came to the other side, just like Jesus said they do, of the sea uh, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when they come out of the boat immediately, there met met him out of the what? Tombs. A man with a unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with what? Chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broke in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. He was, he was always night and day. He was in the mountains and in the tombs. What was he doing? Crying, Crying out and doing what? Asking. Cutting himself. He's cutting himself. See, these behaviors are not, not new behaviors we see in some of the youth. This has been going on whenever there's a demonic, unclean spirit. This is what, this is in which it begins to manifest itself in a human being. They, they like death. They become obsessed with death. They dress like death. They want to listen to music that sounds like death. In fact, I think they, they have death metal music. I mean, it, it doesn't even hide anymore. It's just out there in the open. And, and they want to dress all in black. And they wear the black makeup then often and it begins to take over every space. The house becomes dark. They'd, they'd rather sleep all day and go out at night. It's bizarre, isn't it? I see it a lot of places. And, and, and they begin to, to cut on themselves. For various reasons. Maybe there was someone who touched you in a way that you weren't supposed to be touched when you were young. Maybe... There's unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. Maybe there's things that, but, but they do it. And sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll cut on themselves and they do it in such a way that no one else can see it, but they know. I'll explain how that works because the, the pressure will grow. And in their head, this phrase of just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. 
just do it, just do it, just do it. And it becomes so overwhelming. And then once, once they do it, they bloodlet. Once they do it, then the pressure disappears for a little bit and they find a sense of peace. It's not real peace. And then it'll start up again. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And, and sometimes if they say, no, I, I don't want to do it, well, you're just chicken to do it. You're just chicken to do it. You know, if you were really a brave person, if you were really this way, then, then, then you would do it. And you'd cut it deeper next time. And then they do it. And then the pressure backs off again and the voice quiets down. And then it happens again. So, sometimes it happens where they, it's so bad that they cut so deep and they don't walk away from it that time. Sometimes they cut on the same spot. I knew, I'm just speaking of situations I know of personally where this is what they were doing. Love death, obsessed with it. Fearful of it, but obsessed with it. The guy's hanging out in the tombs, the graveyards. <laughs> he's not wearing black. He's not wearing anything. And the spirits that are in him are, boy, there's, there's, there's strength that shows up, not for his good, but it's destroying his life. His family can't help him anymore. Friends can't help him anymore. <laughs> He's beyond, it's one of the guys that you just say, dude, I don't know, man, no one can help you, but you're just beyond help. I'm telling you now, no, Jesus says he's not beyond help. Jesus is the one that made the decision. We're going to the other side. He's taking his team with him and they don't understand. They're freaking out in the midst of the spiritual battle. And Jesus is like, no, this is getting done. This person is getting free. This person is not going to go, not going to stay in the tombs. They're not going to remain cutting themselves. They're, they're crying out. He's crying out the pain that's on the inside. Ah! He's freaking out. And it's torment. It's torment. He needs freedom, but those things are so pressing him down his personality is down here. Sometimes his personality comes out and you can be talking to the guy, but then in a moment he can shift from being like normal to being enraged. He can switch from this to this and, and the face sometimes, the actual countenance will change. They can growl, they cry out, there's... Intense pain. Both spirits are pulling at his soul. If you've ever been there, you know what it's like. I'm just speaking from experience. Jesus' intent is to go across and he's going to set him free. Verse 6, it says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. I don't think it was the man that was doing the worship at this point. See, hell knows the name of Jesus. Every demon knows who Jesus is. 
they call him the Holy One of Israel. He's the one that's been from eternity. In the Old Testament, it talks about God being the Holy One of Israel. They know exactly that Jesus is from eternity. They know that he's the eternal Son of God. They know that he's the one that's on the throne. They know that he has the power. They know that with his word, they need to obey what he's saying. And they're absolutely terrified of him. That's why when, 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 when sometimes when people have those things going on and, and they come for help, fear will overtake them because they're feeling the fear. And they're saying, I don't, why am I afraid? We've had people stand outside, terrified to come in. Somebody's had to go outside and say, here, come on in. And, and somehow in the help, they've come in and they've gotten freedom. But it's not the person that's afraid. It's that other thing that's in them that's afraid. He's terrified. Those things are terrified of Jesus. Oh, there's, there's a wonderful truth in that. You know, darkness is, a, is afraid of Jesus. Darkness trembles at his presence. Darkness has to flee. He is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Sickness goes, in his presence, there is no sickness. There is no death. There is no darkness. Demons have no space. And it just seems the world is filled with all that stuff, isn't it? Jesus comes into the situation and everything has to change. He's the creator of all things. He's the maker and sustainer of all things. Without him, nothing, nothing that was made was made. He's the creator and sustainer. So he can take every broken thing and do what? Fix it. Every broken thing, every broken heart, what does he do? He's near to the broken heart of the scripture says, and he's able to fix it. And not just fix it like as in poof, it's fixed. But how about this? He heals it through and through. Sometimes we have broken things and we try to glue them back together, don't we? Never does look like the same thing. He can heal in such a way that the scars disappear. This man is broken. You know, the scripture doesn't tell us how he got to that place. He doesn't, doesn't tell us where he started. It doesn't tell us maybe he was an idol worshiper. It doesn't tell us maybe he was abused. It doesn't tell us that maybe he was abandoned and rejected by his family before that. It doesn't tell us what happened. But whatever that landing strip was where it started, and some of you tonight, some of you tonight have been hurt and wounded in the past. There's been trauma in your life that has taken place and you've hung on to it thinking that, that if I hang on to this, man, somehow this hanging on to this anger, the rage, the whatever, the unforgiveness will somehow make the other person pay. And it doesn't, it actually becomes a landing strip for the evil one. The Bible says, so, so when you've got that unforgiveness or that bitterness, and you might have a right to it because what happened to you was wrong. It was sin. Somebody else's sin affected you. And, 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 and it, it damaged it. It kind of broke something in you or whatever. And, and so we, we think about hanging on to it, that, that that's going to somehow make us free. It doesn't. It becomes the landing strip that the enemy uses. So you have to do this with it. Jesus here. 
I'm just trying to see who we have here. In, in certain cultures, when they want to break men, and they do it when they're in their teens, sometimes younger, they sodomize them. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to use words that the little ones may not understand. But that's what they do to try to break men. Because somehow it touches their manhood, their dignity. And they try to use it to break them. They do it in prison. You go to prison, they'll do it to you. They try to break you. Sometimes it happens in families. Sometimes it happens with uncles or whatever the case is. And they, they, but it's, it's, the, behind it is the enemy. He wants to break men so that men don't stand as men. And I'm telling you tonight, I, I, I want to be really careful because I'm not looking any direction too long because I don't want you to think I'm trying to think, talk to you, so to speak. If God's talking to you, then listen to him. But, but, but he wants to set you free from the brokenness that came with that so that as a man, you can be the man that God called you to be. Jesus has a way of restoring that which is broken to make you the man that you should be. Sometimes as little ones, you're maybe as a lady, uh, somebody touched you in a way that they shouldn't have. And they violated you. It was wrong. And it made you feel dirty. And no matter how many times you washed, you couldn't wash it off. I'm sorry. I did not intend to talk about this like this. But you feel like I wash and it just, no soap can take it away. And somehow I'm defiled because of it. Listen to me. The Bible says that when we come to Jesus, he takes our bodies and he makes them a temple of his spirit. He washes them clean so that they're no longer defiled. By his blood and by his presence, he sanctifies, makes them holy, that your body gets to get cleansed better than any, any kind of uh, um, uh, 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 what shampoo or those kinds of things. Any, and he washes you clean so that you're no longer dirty and he doesn't look at you that way. He's a good God. Not only is he willing to wash your sin away, but he's also willing to deal with the effects of other people's offense at you and to clean you and to make you the person that he intended to be. This man was in bad shape. Scripture doesn't tell us how he got there, but he's, he's so bound. He, he, he comes and he bows before Jesus. And this, it says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, well, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not what? Okay, so the demon's afraid that Jesus is going to do to him what he's doing to the man. That demon is tormenting the man. In fact, you'll find out there's not just one here. And he's tormenting the man. When, when I'm talking about this, when I'm preaching on this, when the word of God is being opened and the power of the Holy Spirit is touching you, um, sometimes you'll feel it in yourself, a reaction happening. You might want to run. You might want to Stand up. I, one of the guys who got baptized the other week said he wanted to get up and punch me. Please don't do that. But it happens. 
But that thing begins to react because it's afraid it's going to get exposed. And it's going to warn you that if you, if you say anything or if you let anybody else know that it's going to do something to you. Can I say to you, in the name of Jesus, that we bind that thing and it doesn't have that kind of authority. If you'll come to Jesus, he'll release you from it. It's afraid that you're going to get it caught <laughs> and that Jesus is going to do the tormenting. Does that make sense? There's freedom tonight. There's freedom tonight. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He is love. He heals the brokenhearted. He's near to those who are contrite and broken in spirit. He doesn't stand afar off. And he comes to bring liberty to captives. The opening of the prison to those that are bound. He comes to heal and to give sight where there's blindness. He is, he is the most high God. He is, he is the God of glory, the son of God become man. And hell knows it. And hell's worried about what he's going to do. Oh, that should excite you. If you're a believer this morning, this evening, it's not this morning, it's been a long day. If you're a believer this evening, the thing is, is that we get to walk in Jesus' steps and he's the serpent crusher. Jesus came to crush the head of the serpent, although he bruised his heel. But Jesus is the serpent crusher. And he says, walk with me. He says, you'll be able to tread down every work of the enemy, he says. <laughs> I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he said to him, what is your name? And this demon is answering. And he says, he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this guy has not just one, but many unclean spirits. Now, I know Jesus asked the thing its name. I don't tend to do that. I don't care what its name is. It just needs to go. Some people like to talk to demons and that. I don't get a kick out of that. They're liars anyway, so I'm not really want to build my doctrine in what they're telling me. They just have to go. For, for a person who belongs to Jesus, uncleanness is not fitting for you. And any unclean spirit that would impress itself or impose itself upon you in the kingdom of God is not allowed. Jesus' blood wants to come between you and that spirit, and it has to go. And he wants to cleanse you. Is this making sense? Okay, this is real life stuff. I'm trying to show you that this stuff happens today. I, I could tell you story after story of people who've come in here and we've watched God set them free. We've watched God deliver them. We've watched them come in addicted. We've watched them go out absolutely in their right mind. It's amazing. Jesus is that way still. He's the Lord of glory. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It doesn't matter if it comes from heaven or hell. It doesn't matter if it's in the earth. Every knee bows to the name of Jesus. Sin bows to him. Devils bow to him. Sickness bows to him because he is the one that is the Lord of all things. Amen? <laughs> Come on now. And so this demon says, well, we're many. Eh? You know, you almost think that, you know, like, well, we got more on our side than you have on your side, but that's not what's happening. 
because they begin to beg Jesus not to send them out of the country. They're really concerned. One with God is a majority. In fact, God's just a majority on his own. But when you're standing with him, what's impossible? Now a large herd of swine were feeding near the mountains. And so, and all the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them what? That's amazing. They couldn't go anywhere until he gave his permission. And he's the one that's really in control, isn't he? And the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, and there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Well, one thing you know that this isn't the Jewish space because they don't have anything to do with pigs. So when Jesus helps this guy, he's not even Jewish. So he goes out of his way. He goes out of Israel and into the Decapolis so that he can help this guy. And he's the only one there. How far does he go to set someone free? How far will he reach to meet with you? <laughs> Let me pause for a second. Do you realize that when Jesus wants to meet with, somewhere, meet with someone, that he'll go to where they are to, to, to get to them? Right? So he went to the woman at the well, at the well, when she was the only one that was going to be there. Um, he went to uh, Lazarus's tomb, and the only thing in the tomb is dead people, so he has to rise him up. But he, Lazarus couldn't go and meet with Jesus, could he? So Jesus actually had to go and meet with him and call him out of the tomb. How about this? Do you know that the thief on the cross couldn't go anywhere else but hang on the cross and die? And Jesus was willing to meet with him, hanging next to him with nails in his hands. How far is he willing to go to meet with you? He'll pay whatever it takes. And he does. <laughs> Nothing is limited by him. And he wants to meet with you to bring you through. So he goes across and meets with this guy. And the demons go. Now I've heard people ask the question, why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? It's funny because people ask the strangest questions when the most important thing about it is, wow, Jesus, you set the man free. But if you notice that when Jesus often set someone free and there was a demon, that demon often made the individual writhe on the ground. I don't know what 2,000 of them would try to do to a man on the inside if there was a bit of a struggle. And Jesus just told, go. And they seemed to go, if I can almost put it peaceably. And they left the man alone. Sometimes there's a struggle when deliverance happens. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't come out just, just like that sometimes. I don't know if I would want to try to deal with 2,000 at once, but hey, you know, I don't know. Lord, help us. <laughs> but the man, the man was free. Are you hearing me? Yes. I just want to check because sometimes when this is happening and the Lord wants to touch you, it, that you'll see my mouth move, but you won't actually be able to hear what I'm saying very well. Are you hearing me? Yes. Can you hear? Yes. Because it's important that you do. 
And so I bind anything that's trying to stop you from hearing where Jesus wants you free. And in Jesus' name, it needs to cease and desist. Jesus wants you free. Anxiety isn't part of the Christian life. Joy is and peace. <laughs> The pigs ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So also those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed, what was he like now? And the, had the legion, what was he? Sitting, what? Clothed, he had been naked before and, and, and now he's clothed in his what? How much counseling do you think he needed? You don't counsel a demon out. It's got to go. Okay? You don't counsel a demon out. People go and they say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I've got these voices. And so, nowadays they just medicate you because they don't know how to help you. But he, Jesus didn't give them any counseling. In fact, what does Jesus say? Because this, well, the people saw this guy who they had tried to help. They couldn't help. Now one man, Jesus, without even touching him, speaks, and now the man is free. That cloud has to go. Those shackles that are on the inside have to go. They get broken. The man is now free. He's now fully clothed, and now he's in his right mind, and everybody else freaks out. Everybody else freaks out. He's fine. You know, sometimes you can get free and other people don't like it. Yeah. Had someone say this to me this morning that they were, they were out last night with some, some, some people that there was, a, they, there was some kind of, um, uh, I don't know, celebration that they were having and they were very unhappy that this person had come to Christ, their life had been changed, they're no longer worshiping demons, they're no longer involved in witchcraft, they're no longer involved, and they're like, we don't like you anymore because you don't continue to do what we're doing. They said to be sober in the midst of a bunch of drunk people, never saw it before because that wasn't the way they functioned. And now this is where they're at, and other people were unhappy. Can I say to you, that happens. Your mates will say to you, when you come to Christ, well, 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 you don't do what we're doing anymore. Well, you think you're better than us? Oh, I'm on my way to heaven. You want to go with me? Some of you have seen your family members get touched by Jesus. Your friends, your mates get touched by Jesus. And you see it. Can I just say this? Don't stay at a distance and watch. Enter in. Because that's why you're here tonight. Because Jesus has been orchestrating the events behind the scenes so that he could bring you here because he wants to set you free. <laughs> Only some of you said amen. I don't know. They began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. It's incredible. Incredible. Don't be surprised when people don't want you around anymore, when you've come to faith. Can I say this to you? Those of you who've just recently come to faith, you got about 
between 18 and 24 months before your mates won't want to talk to you anymore. I'm sorry, that's just what happens. Now, that's different from when you're at work. When you're at work, family, they have to put up with you. Ish. Right? And, and, and so what, what happens is, is that after you come to faith, you've got about 18 months, maybe 24, as you're talking to them, because what will happen is they see the change, they start asking questions, and it gets to the point in their own heart where either they say yes to Jesus or they literally have to turn their back. And what happens in that moment, then you become the example. You become the person who with the, it's like the guy walking through the street that, you know, says uh, the world is ending and all is lost kind of thing. You become that for them. When they see you, they're convicted because they know of what's in you. And it's like a fragrance that you carry and they know they're perishing just by looking at you. And so can I say this to you, those who've just recently come to faith, use this next 18 months, use this next 24 months, watch your, watch your life, watch your life, watch your walk, watch your steps. They're going to wait for you to fall. If they, if they can see you fall, they might encourage you to do it. And if they can see it, they want to they justify themselves by you not being able to walk or you not walking the way that they know you should. And they want you to fall because it justifies their own heart, makes them feel better that the, the, the conviction begins to go away. But what God wants to do is use you in the process of it. He wants to use your life as an example to them so that they come under conviction. The Holy Spirit's at work in you to bring, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Is this making sense? So please use the time wisely. Open your mouth. Don't be quiet. Open your mouth. Say, well, they'll tell by my life. No, listen, Jesus lived his life perfectly with his family. And they didn't believe in him. In fact, it wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead that he went and met with his, his brother, half-brother James, to show him that he had been risen from the dead so that James would believe. And so behavior isn't enough. You have to speak it. By the simplicity of the message preached, God saves those who believe. So open your mouth. Don't be silent. And don't get weirded out when, they, when they're testing you or they're, they're trying to provoke you. Just be at peace. Make sure that you're, okay, I, I'm going to circle around and we'll go back and finish up in just a minute. Do you know what today is? This isn't a trick question. What day is it? It's the first day of the week, Sunday. Do you know that John calls it the Lord's day? In, in Revelation chapter one and verse 10, he said, I was in the spirit on the, whose day? Okay. It doesn't say it's the Lord's hour. Does it? The Lord's evening? The Lord's morning. What does it say? Okay. Um, can I just suggest to you, as a, especially as a new believer, um, make sure he gets the whole day. What you do with your Sunday tells the world who your God is. Is it a law? Not in the sense where I'm, I'm trying to be good enough so that God will love me, but because the work is finished 
and I, I can rest in him. Now I get on with my work. Okay, it's a different way around. And um, it, it's one of those things that it comes from the heart. But it's still one of those things that is set up where the church met on the first day of the week. The church met on the first day of the week. What day did Jesus rise from the dead? The Sunday, the first day of the week. So it became the celebration day. See, Judaism ended. And so the, the law was fulfilled in Christ and Jesus actually became a Sabbath rest. It's not a Sabbath in the sense where it's, it's the Christian Sabbath. I've heard people say, it's not like that. But this day is a day that's meant for worship and gathering with the saints. Some of you work very hard. Some of you don't work much at all, need to get a job. But, but some of you work really hard. And um, six days max work. Don't do a seven-day shift. God designed it, and he designed us in that way. And so six days you shall work, and then one day rest. I think it was 321 when Constantine, because Rome had so been affected by the Christian faith that he actually made Sunday the, the, the kind of day where nobody had to work. With the influence of the church at that point, he, he kind of made a civil decree that it was on March 7th, uh, 321, that he made this decision. It was, a, it was a public civil thing where it was kind of like having Sunday, Sunday trading laws in the UK, which they got rid of. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this. I'm sorry, but it's... When it offends you, just tell me and I'll duck when you throw something. So um, um, how about this? Um, it's the Lord's Day. It doesn't belong to football. Whose day is it? Listen, if you belong to Jesus, who do you belong to? You or your football league? You or your boxing league? Don't post on the church thing if you're not in here. Don't pray for the church if you're not here. You need to be here. You know what I'm saying? See, some of you are like, I don't like what you're saying. I don't, I don't care. Have I lied to you yet? Have I lied to you yet? Not at all. I will speak the truth to you. Why? Because I love you enough to tell you the truth, even if you don't like me for a day. Because your soul is more important than whether I'm popular. Because Jesus loves you and he wants to conform you to a pattern of life that out of your life will flow rivers of living water where the power of God will be seen in your life, where the fruit of Christ will be manifest in you wherever you go. And that's what I want to see for you. So can I just say how you use your Sunday is very important. Fair enough? I'm circling back around. These are some of the things that have been on the smorgasbord list. Um, it's called First Fruits. It's the first day of the week. In Proverbs chapter 3, it talks about fruits. Oops. And um, Doug's waiting for me to give him the verse there. All right, yeah, it's verses 9 and 10, uh, but start with verse 7, please. 
So, you know the Bible is God's word, yeah? yeah? It's God's word. It's his breathed word. So, when you believe what God says and you obey what God says in his word, it is like believing and obeying him. Fair enough? The converse is also true. When we disbelieve and disobey what God says in his word, it's like disobeying and disbelieving who? God. So what do we want to do? We want to obey and believe him. I know it's simple. I just have to say it. So do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and what? Depart from evil. So can I say who you hang with will have an effect on If you're, if you're out there hanging with, with drug, drug dealers and someone starts shooting at you, don't get mad at God. If you're hanging with people who are doing evil things and you get caught up in it, even if you weren't doing it yourself, but you're hanging with them, then what's going to happen? You're going to get tarred with the same brush. And sometimes when the police pick people up, everyone else was smarter than you and they ran, they left you hanging the bag yeah. and you'll be the one that gets done. So you need to be careful who you hang with. So fear the Lord and with evil, depart, leave. So we say, yeah, but my mates, how do I reach my mates? Listen, you don't have to meet them when they're smoking dope. You don't have to meet them at the end of the bar. You can take them out for coffee. There's other ways of meeting up with them so that they, you can have the chance to share with them. Absolutely. But fear the Lord. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Next verse. <clears throat> it will be what? Health to your flesh and strength to your... Isn't that amazing? Do you know that following Jesus, there's a promise of healing? Fearing the Lord, departing from evil, you're following after him. He says, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your, he's the healer. That's a good thing, isn't it? If I walk with him, he'll, he'll, he'll help me. You say, well, does that mean I'll never die? No, there'll become a moment that you breathe your last and you're in his presence. But death doesn't come for you. Jesus does. Next verse, please. <clears throat> Honor the Lord with your... Are you talking about money, Pastor? Yep. I'm talking about whatever he gives you. You say, well, that's church. They always want money. Well, if you know me at all, you know that isn't my main thing. I want you to know that you're going to heaven. But let me tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus, what you do with your money speaks volumes about who you worship. Jesus spoke a lot about it. Jesus spoke a lot about it. Now, people say, well, I'm not under the law. I don't have to tithe. A tithe is a tenth. A tithe didn't begin with the law. It started back in the Old Testament before Moses showed up. Abraham, he had just gone to war. He had all this stuff. And he met with a guy named Melchizedek, which is interesting because in the New Testament, Jesus is compared to him in the priesthood. And he said that Abraham gave him a tenth of all that he had. 
You say, well, okay, well, that's just one. Well, actually, Jacob did the same thing when, he's, when he was at Bethel and he met with God there and he didn't know it was the house of God. You say, God, if, if you'll be with me, he said, every, out of everything I got, you, the tenth is yours. He said, well, you're just being legalistic. No, I'm not, because the promise is this. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits. Can I just say, it's not what's left over at the end. Take it off the top. And then trust him because he's your provider. It puts you in a place of faith. It puts you in a place of faith. And then he says this, verse 10. So your barns will be what? And your vats will? So your barns had to do with what? Your food, your, your wheat, your livestock, and your vats had to do with what? Actually, usually with wine is what it was. So he's going to supply for your needs. He says, so take it off the top first. Now, some of you aren't going to listen no matter what I say, but I want to talk to those especially who are new believers. Set your face to do it now. As you first start walking with Jesus, set your face to do that. Honor him. I'm telling you, I've done it. I have seen God provide thousands and thousands. We, we, I give away, I don't want to say more money than I come, get in, but I'm, it's pretty close at times. I don't even know where it all comes from. But I watch God provide and I give out. I support missionaries and I live by faith. It's only been recently the church has been able to help me out a bit more. But I did, when I started this work, I wasn't getting a penny. I was working 60 hours a week to help support myself while I was planting the church. It's not for the money. But the Bible says that, that, that a man who ministers in the gospel is worthy of the wage. The ministers of the gospel is by the gospel. But I don't put that on people. I look to my God in that regard. And he's the one that meets my need. I don't know how many of you guys were around when, when we had all the, the words about getting a tent. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, someone says, I've got a tent. You've got about a week to pay for it. And it was 19,000 pounds. I had to commit that we would pay for it before we had it. We didn't have, I didn't have 19,000 pounds. I don't usually carry that in my pocket chains for you, I'm sure. And I didn't have that kind of money. I didn't have that kind of money. But I had to commit because once you commit, now I have a need. Hear me, please. This is a spiritual principle. Once you commit to saying, doing what God has told you to do, now you have a need. Now he'll what? Provide for you. If you wait for him to provide before you'll commit, there's no commit. He doesn't need to. It's like going bending like in the wind like this. Commit first and then watch him meet your need. Watch him provide for you. And so I committed and we watched within a week in our little church here, 19,000 pounds come in to buy a tent, which we're going to use for a rise. Hallelujah. And need some welding this time, but we're going to do it. But I'm just saying this, uh, I can tell you story after story. My point is this, is that if you're faithful with him, he will be faithful with you. If you're going to trust in him, you will not be disappointed by trusting him. Nobody has ever gone, well, Lord, I guess I just trusted you too much. He's never told anybody off for trusting him too much. And so trust him. So those of you who are new believers, please hear me. Do I want your money? No, I don't care about the money. I care about the fruit of your life. Because if you'll learn to be faithful, listen, there was a guy named Walgreens in the States and he had a small, like a little corner shop 
and he started, he made a decision at the beginning that he would take 10% of what he made from his business and he would give it away. By the time he died, he was giving 90% away and living on 10% and he still had more than what he needed. Um, this is true. I, I tell you story after story. Because if you can handle physical riches and you do it rightly, God will trust you with spiritual ones. All right, some of you have sought the Lord for gifts of healing, but you won't take a coin out of your pocket and help anybody. <laughs> there was a guy named Hudson Taylor. God used him mightily in the past. I think he got some testimony books in the back of him. Amazing. He was a missionary to China before there was missionaries to China. And he ended up wearing Chinese clothes and everyone freaked out on him because he was doing that, thinking, oh, it was bad. But he reached, he reached the nation anyway. And, and um, um, when he was preparing to go, God was leading him and teaching him principles. So he had to go and pray for somebody and they were sick. But he used to have this special coin in his pocket. I think it was a sovereign. I don't know enough about British coinage. But he used to have this coin in his pocket, which was enough that would have purchased the medicine. But he didn't want to give that. He said, Lord, this is kind of like, almost like my lucky coin. So he goes to pray for this person and he said it was like the heavens were like brass. He knew his prayer wasn't getting through. And he's like, what's going on? And the Lord says, you go, you give what you've got and I'll back you up and I'll meet you where you don't have. So two things happened. As he wrestled with it, I think he came back the next day, but as he wrestled with it, he decided he would do it. So he went and he, he sent the man off to get the, the, the medicine. And in the process, the woman gets healed and then he gets home. And there was like, I don't know, it was like two or three sovereigns had arrived in the post with the, the, the letterhead so messed up by rain, he couldn't tell who it was from. But because he had obeyed God in that, God not only met his need physically in the, in the finance, but also the woman got healed. So if you're willing to trust God with the, the physical, then he can entrust you with the spiritual. Some of you want to see God use you in this way or that. Listen, be faithful in the natural mammon, as it says, and then he'll give you spiritual riches to be able to work with, and he'll do more than what you can ask or think with what he works with you. Does this make sense? Okay, this is a principle. See, if you're faithful in the small, he'll give you more. It was, sometimes we want the big thing, but we won't be faithful with the small. Be faithful with the small. If you want to have your own ministry, some of you do. Fantastic. Praise God. Shoot that direction. Be willing to serve someone else's first. I'll tell you the principle in this one. Jesus said it. He said, he said if you won't serve what is someone else's, God's not going to give you your own. Because let me let's show you how this works. Because when you have your own ministry and you're going to need people who are going to help you do and get done what you need to get done, right? So you're going to want them to serve you in the vision that God's given you, but you won't serve anyone else. So you wanted to them do what you wouldn't do. That's called hypocrisy. That doesn't go down very well in the kingdom. Even when Jesus came, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so that's like the way he is. Is this making sense? These are just little kind of principles, but I want you to be faithful with what God's given you and do it off the top first. And then he says he'll provide. Worship, giving, um, the word. 
This morning we are addressing the issue of discipleship. How many of you have um, tried to lose weight? Anyone? What do you mean you tried to lose weight? What are you talking about? Boy, to get you married, get you fattened up, that'd be good. The thing is, is that if, if you wanted to lose weight, do you fast for a whole day? Okay, well, fasting, not eating for a whole day, will that take much weight off? No, it'll just make you hungry. <laughs> and then you eat more after you get done anyway. But it's like going to the gym. If you went to the gym for like five hours or eight hours to lift weights and you didn't go for the rest of the week, how much good would that do you? You just, you just you end up sore, really. But what, what if instead of doing it for eight hours, what if you took one hour every day and did it for eight days? Now something would change. Instead of like not eating anything, what if you just like took sugar out? Listen, discipleship, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow. So how about this? Instead of like, well, I'm going to spend eight hours reading the Bible. You could. I'm not, if that's in your heart, do it. Great. Wonderful. But, but what, if, what if you just like did, I don't know, like a half hour every day or 20 minutes every day and read a portion of scripture? Watch what happens by the end of the week. Watch what begins to shift inside your heart and your mind. Watch what happens. It's like being fed every, every day. And the Lord will speak to you. You say, well, I'm busy. Yeah, you're not that busy. I could prove it if you let me have your phone. I'll find out how much time you spent on it. Let's go back around. Let's finish up. Oh, we got communion here. This man was in his right mind. He was sitting there. Everyone else is freaking out. They want Jesus to leave. And then the man turns around. He tells Jesus, I want to go with you. He says to Jesus, and, when he, and, when, and, 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 and they begged him to go, verse 18 of Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 5, pardon me, verse 18, and when and he got in the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, what? Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how, has, how he has had what? Compassion on you. He says, Jesus, I'm ready for full-time ministry. I'm free now. He says, no, you're not. Go home first. Tell your family, they've been missing you. Tell your friends, let them know what Jesus has done for you. Let, let them know, tell them, share your story so that they can see and hear it. You may not know this, but do you know that the feeding of the 4,000 happened sometime later after this? So when Jesus returned to the area, there was a 4,000 uh, person group that gathered plus uh, to hear Jesus speak because of the testimony of that man.
That's amazing. Sometimes we think, oh, I got to go over here to do it. No, 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 no. Start with your family. They'll see the change in you. They're hard. It's hard, I know, because they're watching for everything. But spend time there. Talk to your mates and, and let them know. And then Jesus will meet with them too. Oh, watch the dominoes begin to fall. It's amazing when groups of people get saved like that. There's freedom tonight. We're going to take communion and as we do this evening, I just want to say there's liberty for you.